Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. Please ask because a little bit light on questions tonight. I look at the list of questions a little bit before um, seven o'clock, and I've looked at the list. I've got it here, and I've got two questions. I'll be honest with you. I've got two questions here, so I've got to string out two questions. But for goodness' sake, if you've got a question and you know you've been holding it within you week in week out, now is the time to get it out because I can tell you now, my friend, if you've got a question, you have got a very good chance of getting it answered. Did I tell Ella off on YouTube? Yes, I did tell Ella off on YouTube. Will it make any difference? I don't know. Who knows? But yes, I did. Um, thanks, Bex. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, if you've got a question, please do. But you know, <laughs> I've got to use up one of my two questions. So I'm going to use up one of my two now. Uh, let's see how we get on. So question number one. Do we offer durable fillers or anti-wrinkle injections? Short answer or long answer? Of course I'm going to do the long answer. Of course I'm going to do the short answer, am I? Um, well, short answer is no, we don't. And we've been up and down and back and forwards. And, and you know, some of the surgeons, actually probably all of the surgeons, apart from me, do it. Um, loads of people do it. Um, and... When I, you know, when I talk to colleagues who've, who've well, not even got um, clinic, just other colleagues who are plastic surgeons, they all like, oh, you've got to do, you know, fillers and, sorry about that noise, I'm trying to close something that's not letting me, um, fillers and, and, and all these anti-wrinkle injections or, or et cetera, such as Botox. Um, and the, the I can see why, because it's, uh, repeat business. A lot of the surgery I do is a one-off operation, which means I'm constantly looking for new patients because as soon as, as soon as I've operated on someone, that's it. Whereas if you have a non-surgical practice, you can have quite a small group of patients, but they'll keep coming back to you and you can have quite a good business based on a, a much smaller number of patients than if you have a surgical practice where you tend, particularly my surgical practice, which is breast and body contouring, so I don't do faces. So I haven't even got that thing where, you know, people say when people are younger, they're having their breasts done, and then the tummy tucks a bit later on, and then the facelifts and the blepharoplasties a bit later on, so you can sort of treat people throughout their lives. But uh, I don't do facial aesthetic surgery, so I haven't even got that. So there is definitely an attraction in having a relationship with a patient a steady on, you know, like a commute. I'm trying to build a community, and definitely by doing uh, non-surgical treatments, it does build on that community. And I love the concept of having a community around my clinic and having people coming back, and you know, uh, and and feeling part of the family. I really do love that, and I have been looking for um, a way of of enhancing that. And you might think that doing um, this sort of thing would do that, but the problem with anything is it's not as easy as it sounds because you have to get the patients and that requires work, that requires producing content, producing information, 
you know, talking about it, getting information out there. And because it isn't really my thing and I've tried to get excited about it, I've got, I'm sorry, but I can't get excited about it. Um, so I haven't, you know, gone down that route of producing a lot of content for my website, etc. Also, I think if you get, well, it's not the case, but I believe that if you do something, you should be able to get people out of trouble. You know, you should be able to, um, to, to, to sort of fix it, if you like. And because it's not my specialty, because it's not my niche, uh, obviously fillers and, and Botox is mainly facial. Um, I just feel like it's not really my area. It's not really my thing. And some people do a lot of it. Some people specialize it. Some people just do non-surgical stuff. And I feel like saying, look, let's leave it to them. Leave it to the experts. Leave it to the people who are doing it all the time who love it. You know, um, I should probably watch what I say because maybe in a few years' time I'll be doing Botox and fillers and everyone will be going, remember that one? You know, but anyway, it's facts. I'm, I'm spitting facts here. So, you know, you can't argue with the facts. My view might change. I reserve the right to change my view. But at this present point in time, um, it is not something that I do or, you know, it's just not my thing. Um, and as I say, the other doctors do it, but we don't really promote it because because I feel that we should be doing things that I do. Rightly or wrongly, maybe wrongly, from a business point of view, definitely wrongly from what everyone says. Um, but I guess it's sort of like my, my, my private, my practice, my medical practice first and a business second, I guess. But, um, you know, anyway that's where we are at the moment so we're not as i say we have been up and down and done and not done and maybe if i get someone in with me like a medical director or some other doctor you know as a partner or something and then maybe you might do it but as it stands it's a it's a no from me lisa what have you got lisa's got a question thank god for that i've got three questions um lorena what are you playing at why have i only got two questions uh riddle me that riddle me that i've got two questions i've got anyway i'm a professional and you watch i'll uh I'll do my best. Um, so what's uh, Lisa got? Uh, I have a question, a little off topic. We're all right with that. Do you give any creams advice to help scars many breast surgery? How's that off topic, Lisa? That's bang on topic. Breast surgery, I mean, can't get more on topic than breast surgery. Absolutely, in, in the right place. That's a very good question. Um, well, scars are scars. Is it? Does it look naff if I have tea? I'm sorry if that looks naff. I might. I, I feel bad doing it. I just. Uh, anyway, I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to leave that tea there because I think that looks, I'm, I'm, I'm answering my own question. That doesn't look naff. So, um, yeah. Sorry, you. Yeah, it's all right. It's all right, Amy. Don't worry. Um, so, to be to be fairly, sir, scars from breast surgery are the, scar, are the same as scars from anything. So this actually does um, uh, apply to any scars. In terms of managing scars and creams so um when you look at it it's a huge market because uh people want to get rid of scars and there's a big market in scar removal creams scar reduction creams etc etc but when you actually look at the facts of it and you look at the science behind it there's very little evidence from a scientific point of view to say that one cream is better than the other you know if they got someone with a scar and they put some cream on one half of it and they didn't put some cream on the other half of it, you know, then maybe we can talk, you know, but um, it, it's pretty patchy, the evidence. Um, 
having said that, that I did go to a talk last year when they presented some stuff, which was very interesting. I was chatting to the chap who's, who's um, developed it, and he's a plastic surgeon. The, the other, you know, last couple of weeks ago when I was at a meeting in London, and I was saying, you know, and he's saying, why don't you use my stuff? And I'm like, well, I, you know, basically, like anyone, you have to be nagged, to be fair. And I said, you know, you need to speak to Vicky. You need to get your people to come and speak to Vicky. And he's like, well, we're trying to get it into the big supermarkets like Boots. I know Boots isn't a supermarket, but, you know, trying to get into big outlets before they're dealing with individual surgeons. So that was interesting, that stuff. But I'm going off topic now, Lisa. <laughs> so in general terms, in terms of creams um, and the evidence as it stands, it's not great for normal scars. And most scars are normal scars. And the way what happens in a normal scar, at a week it looks good. Six weeks, it looks really red and firm, and then it then it starts to fade and, and become less red. And what happens is your body says, oh, my God, I've been hurt. I've got to heal myself. Throws in all this collagen, which is like a healing tissue, into the wound all over the place. And that makes it all higgledy-piggledy, makes it feel very firm, sort of rope-like, very firm, very red, raised. Uh, and then over time, a remodeling process occurs where the collagen starts to align and it starts to look a bit more like normal skin, and it goes skin-colored and softer and that happens to all scars at whatever you do so that's a normal scar maturation um i do think that massage and moisturizing is the mainstay of scar management and that's what we tell people to do most of the time now i think there are things you can do that's good for your skin and that means drink plenty keep well hydrated and avoid the sun the sun's particularly bad for the skin and the sun's particularly bad for scars particularly when they're red and obvious which is the first three to six months if you get a tan on a scar while it's red you'll keep the tan and you end up with a brown scar. But, um, but that's just general sort of skin things. In terms of specifically the scar and creams, moisturize and massage. And there's not really any great evidence to say that one thing is better than another thing. Nivea, E45, aloe vera, um, bio oil, um, aqueous cream, you know, you name it. Um, that, that some people say, you know, oh, vitamin E cream is great and aloe vera is great and things like that and that's great i'm like if you've got an moisturizer that you like then go for it for me actually it's more the massage it's more the massage than the actual cream that you're using so massaging a scar and as i say this goes for any scars whether it's your breast scar or or, or any scar if you fell over and hurt, you hurt your leg um moisturizer massage will help it to soften and settle um now the scar reduction creams that they market are usually silicone creams uh, silicone which can come as a cream or it's actually a gel or a sheet a silicone sheet and they market them as scar reduction um, gel or whatever uh, but really for me the evidence is really for um, lumpy red lumpy raised hypertrophic scars which are abnormal scars hypertrophic scars are red florid lumpy raised up scars now a lot of scars look a bit red and a bit raised to start with but they're not hypertrophic scars it's normal for that to happen uh, in the first couple of months so for me the silicone is really beneficial for a hypertrophic scar which is an abnormal scar i don't think you're going to do any harm by using it for, for a non-hypertrophic scar i certainly don't think they do any harm to use it but it is expensive and if you are using the silicone you can't really massage you can't really do both because if you put the gel on or the sheet on and you try and massage, you just move the sheet or rub the gel off. So you do one or the other. So for me, and even for a hypertrophic scar, moisturizer massage is good. So most of the scar reduction creams that you'll see in the shops are really, in my view, beneficial, particularly for a hypertrophic scar, which is an abnormal scar, which most people don't have. 
most people have a normal scar. It might be a bit red and a bit raised, but that doesn't mean it's hypertrophic. Um, so most scars, I would say, moisturize, massage. You have to let this wound heal. And again, you need to be guided by a surgeon as to when you start the massage. Personally, I usually do about six weeks for pretty much any operation, just because I want it to admit to get it pretty firmly. That's not, I don't think there's any evidence for that. I just, in my mind, want the wound to be pretty well healed before you start massaging it. So I normally start about six weeks, moisturize, massage, Obviously, with the breast, it's difficult to get to. So maybe morning and night, you know, you can't get, you can't do that very often. But if you've got a scar on your hand, two, three, four, five times a day, you know, if you moisturize, massage, and and actually give it. A, that's why I have to wait for six weeks once it's, you know, pretty um, soft. But once it's there, it's, it's not soft. Um, pretty well healed, not tender anymore. Um, as long as it's pretty well healed and not tender anymore, give it a bit, of, give it a bit of welly. You know, make the scar black, blanch, make it go white. Give it a bit of pressure when you're actually massaging it, you know, circular motions. Oh, I don't think there, but you know, give it a good, good bit of a, good bit of a, good bit of a go. But yeah, nice question, Lisa. Thank you. Got a question on Instagram. Thanks. The me now. Hey, how often do implants need to be replaced? That's a big one. That's a big one. The me now. I wish I thought of that because I've got to be honest with you. The me now. Ten minutes ago, I was desperately thinking of what I could make up a question and put it on myself, and I couldn't think of anything. But that, if I had that would have been i'd have been proud of thinking of that question myself but um thank you for that a lot of people say they've got to be changed every 10 years i i really don't know where that's come from i don't know where that's come from we're in medical school or in in plastic surgery school they don't that, that, that's not coming anywhere from plastic surgery school so um they don't have to be changed every 10 years the implants themselves are often guaranteed for life most of them are guaranteed for life um, now, that just means the implants guaranteed for life, not the surgery. So you still have to pay the surgery. But what that means is the implants are built to last forever. They're not, you know, they're not supposed to be changed. Having said that, they probably will need to be changed. If you're having implants, you have to acknowledge that they will probably need to be changed at some point in your life. Now, um, around five or 10 years, they can start to go hard. And that's probably the most common reason for needing the implants to be changed they go hard and a lot of people say my implants gone hard actually your implants haven't gone hard what's happened is you've got scar tissue forming around the implant it's called a capsule everybody with a breast implant in has got a capsule 100 percent of people has got a capsule your body will wall that implant off with scar tissue that's a normal thing that your body does anytime a foreign body goes in there so if you get shot if you've got a bit of shrapnel in your leg your body will wall that off in scar tissue now, the problem with an implant is that over the years, the capsule, the scar tissue contracts. Now, if you've got a bit of shrapnel in your leg, if it's a bit of metal, nothing happens because it's a bit of metal. But an implant is squidgy. So as, an, as the capsule contracts over the squidgy implant, it makes it into a ball, which is the, the um, lowest surface area to volume ratio, or is it the highest? Anyway, you know, the surface tension thing, like a bubble, some kind of physics thing anyway, it makes it into a ball. So as a capsule contracts, it wants the shortest distance. So it, make, it does anyway, it just makes it into a ball. So it doesn't matter what sh implant you've got, you can have a low profile, you can have a teardrop, you can have any sort of implant, it turns into a ball and it ends up looking like a high profile implant basically, because it all gets compressed and it ends up sticking up and looking quite full. So it might look quite soft and natural, as the capsule contracts, it looks like a, a, a high or an extra high profile round implant, like they look quite full and quite high. Um, 
And as that then continues, that, that contracture, that scar tissue, it gets painful. So that's the natural history of a capsular contracture. First of all, it looks, uh, first of all, you feel it, actually. The first the first stage is you feel, feels a bit hard. Before you say, I can't feel the implants at all. Then it feels a bit hard. And then uh, and then it looks a bit odd as you get this sort of fullness and you think, oh, God, they don't look very good anymore. And then it gets uncomfortable. At any stage along that route, you might want to have it changed. You don't have to have them changed. So as I say, it's not like they have to be changed at 10 years. They don't. You might want to have them changed. And if you have them changed, that's fine. We take all that scar tissue out and put a new implant in again. It's called a capsulectomy um, and, and the replacement of the ear implants. The problem is that's quite a traumatic operation, creates quite a lot of scarring. And so another capsule comes quicker so you normally i normally advise people to leave it as long as you can before having a capsulectomy and change of implants but uh that would be the requirement to have them changed and when you do change them when you take them out you get this really hard ball it takes hard ball out you open it up you open the capsule out comes the implants the implants happy as larry the implants just a normal implant all of a sudden the implant you know just goes to its normal shape so usually so the problem is not the implant, it's the body's reaction to the implant. It's the scar tissue that's caused it going hard. So strictly speaking, when you say the implant's gone hard, it's not actually the implant that's gone hard, it's your body's scar tissue that's formed around the implant that's made it feel hard. Uh, the implant is actually fine. So um, that's the most common reason to have them in place. There's other reasons to have them in place. Rupture, um, which is pretty rare, to be honest. And sometimes you get what's called a silent rupture, you don't even know about it, and it's held within the capsule, um, which, you know, personally, I don't routinely scan people. Some people routinely scan people at 10 years or something like that, looking for these sorts of problems. I don't routinely scan people. I go on clinical um, on the clinical grounds because the scans are not 100%, and sometimes the scan can throw up something, and you think, oh, crikey, what should I do? And you might have to go through um, the, uh, the risks of having surgery with not being sure if there's actually anything wrong with your implant at all. Um, and if it's an intracapsular rupture, it's held within that capsule. But uh, so I don't personally re recommend uh, scanning people uh, routinely. Um, uh, and the main reason, I guess, for scanning would be um, rupture because uh, capsular contracture is a clinical diagnosis. You don't really scan people for capsular contracture. You can feel and see that. Um, and the other reason for having implants replaced, I guess, is um, ALCL. But that's extremely rare. One in 6,000 to one in 60,000 people um, is very rare, but that's a lump or a swelling sometimes after having implants in. I mean, I suppose the other things are, you know, size, not, you know, not happy with the size and breasts drooping and wanting a different shape and stuff like that. But that's more of a cosmetic issue rather than them needing to be replaced. So, um, so yeah, so they don't, so if, if, if this gets chopped as a, as a clip, on YouTube and the, and the clip says, how often do implants need to be replaced? I'm probably going to get loads of comments saying, you haven't asked the question, you haven't asked the question, you haven't asked the question. Like, you know, how long dissolvable sutures, that grief I got on my how long dissolvable sutures uh, question. Look at that on YouTube. I've answered a question. Someone said, how long are dissolvable sutures? I don't, the other thing people on YouTube don't realise is I haven't made the question. Someone else has asked the question, said, ask me how long are dissolvable sutures last? And I'm like, it varies. That is where they are, what sort of suture they've used, how big the suture is. There's all sorts of uh, different types of dissolver sutures. And then I've got all these comments saying, yeah, and ask the question. Well, what do you want to say? Can't answer the question. There's not an answer to it. I haven't asked the question. I think they think I've asked the question and put it on YouTube myself. But I haven't done that. Anyway, I'm a professional and I'm just going to rise above it. It doesn't phase me. Look at me.
like the ocean. Yeah. Um, we've got stuff going on. Uh, Lorena said, sorry, you're okay. Olivia, long time no see. Olivia on Facebook, good to see you. Berg, I hope mine don't be changing after five years, already two years old. Hashtag, oh, look at that, Olivia, legend. Um, no, not five years, Olivia. Five years would pretty be, would be pretty early. I mean, five, yeah, I mean, five to 10 years, they can start to go. Having said that, people have been 10, 15, 20 years. So I would say, don't even worry about it. Don't even look for problems. If you have a problem, then obviously seek help. But if you don't have a problem, that's fine. Carry on. A uh, bit of positivity. That's what we need. Um, Karen's here. Hi, Karen. Winky Sparkle. <laughs> Winky Sparkle. You're not another one like the one last week, are you? Anyway, we'll go with it. What's up? Let's have a look at the question. How long should one wait after a liposuction surgery scar before getting the cannula entry scar revised, fixed? Short answer, Winky Sparkle, which obviously I'm going to follow up with a long answer. But short answer, one year. Long answer, scar doesn't start to settle till about three months. Um, so at least three months, probably three to six months, really. Essentially, the longer you wait, the better, because scars really do improve significantly. So three to six months would be the minimum. But really, for scars, for scar revision, especially something like a liposuction, that's going to be like a, a dented in scar, isn't it? Dented in scars, Winky Sparkle, are difficult to treat because when we do the surgery, we create scars. So if you've got a dented scar, you say, look, I hate this scar. Can you sort it out? What do you want me to do? What, what, am, I, what am I going to do? Cut out the scar, stitch it up. I've given you another scar, haven't I? Why is mine not going to go dented in? Now, having said that, don't, don't want to underestimate the old plastic surgery skills. There are things we can do to try and bolster up the scar. But nevertheless, scar revision is tricky. And if you've got a dented in scar, is it dented in, actually? You haven't said. I'm assuming it's dented in. I don't know why I've assumed that. I'm assuming it's dented in. Um, so if it's lumpy, then you're probably, you're probably looking at things like silicone and massage and steroid injections and stuff like that. So it's either lumpy or dented in, I guess. Those are the two options. But let's go with the dented in. So the problem with the dented in thing is, um, you know, what, what am I going to do? So you, you want to wait as long as possible. Really, a year is when, you know, if it's still dented in a year, you'd be thinking, OK, fair enough. You know, that might not be getting any better. But if you can live with it, obviously, if it's terrible and it's, it's like, hopefully, you know, we try and put liposuction scars in out of the way places. So hopefully it's in a bit of an out of the way place and not a big problem for you. But, you know, you never know um, if it is a big problem, then you might want it, You might consider doing it sooner. But it's not as easy as you might think, Winky. Um, it is not as easy. Kelsey's here. Good to see you, Kelsey. Um Oh, the me now. Thank you for explaining another question. Oh, my God. The me now has got another question. Well done, the me now. If I didn't know who you were, who I, which I don't, I would think you were a ringer. I mean, if I was an outsider, because this is brilliant. Thank you. Amy, take a leaf out of the me now, will you? Because she's asking some good questions here. Well, I haven't seen what the second one is, but the first one's a good one. Is it possible to have implants with just an incision around the nipple? I have inverse psoriasis under my breasts. I asked about incisions and psoriasis. So, yes, it is another good one. Um, so, and around the nipple, yes, the email, it is. Another good question there. If I could like, if I could, I don't think I could, and I like, I don't think I can like. Anyway, so basically, the email, there are three, I would say, um, incisions for putting a, an, an, an implant in. One is 
a U-shaped incision at the bottom of the areola, which is the one I think you're talking about um, when you say an incision around the nipple. So it's a, it's a U around the bottom of the areola, and uh, that's called an infra-areola incision. One is at the fold of the, where your bra sits, which is an inframammary incision, and one is in the armpit, which is called transaxillary. So those are the three um, the three options. People talk about the umbilical one, trans-umbilical breast augmentation tuba, but that's really for saline implants, where they put an empty plastic bag in and blow it up. So I think, well, you know, that's not really anything that I've seen. So let's just stick with those three. Um, infra-areola, inframammary, trans-axillary. Now, any time, there's lots of ways of doing something, and that means there's no one good way of doing it. So there's pros and cons of all of them. The Americans seem to use the infra-areola more than we do. We don't tend to use it much. Now, and, the, and there's pros and cons. So first of all, you've got to be careful of anyone trying to say tell you one's better than the other. Now, full disclosure, I pretty much always use inframammary, which is in the fold down here. But I completely understand why people don't want, might, or might not want that, because it can be, it's, 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 on the, it's on the breast, it's on normal skin. You can see that potentially, you know, I lied down and I can see that. Um, and the infra-areola one that you're talking about, when it heals, it heals beautifully. It's pretty much invisible. I use it a lot for men for gynecomastia correction. And that you, when it heals, it's really hard to see. The couple of issues I've got with it personally and the reasons that I don't use it is, number one, you are potentially going to damage some, uh, some nerves around the nipple. So there's an increased risk of uh, alteration in nipple sensation with that, uh, with that incision. Whereas with the inframammary, you're just sort of pushing all the nerves. So whilst you can get funny feelings to start off with, it usually comes back to life. So there's more of a risk of damaging some of the nerves to the nipple. And the other thing is, if perish the thought you had a bad scar, it's really bad because it's on your nipple and it's really, you know. So it's, as I say, it's extremely rare to get a bad scar there. But if you did, it's a bit of a disaster. Whereas with the inframammary or the transaxillary, those scars are a bit more easy to hide because they're sort of hidden underneath your breast or in your armpit. So those are the two reasons that I'm not a great big, or I just don't do it. Well, I say I don't do it. If I was doing something like a difficult tuberous breast or something like that, and I had to make a scar around the areola and you know, didn't have another scar, you you know, you can put the implant in that way. When you do it that way, you have to cut through the breast tissue to get the implant underneath the breast tissue. So you cut through more breast tissue when you're doing it that way. The other, the transaxillary and the inframammary, you're just sort of going straight underneath the breast tissue. So you're not actually cutting through breast tissue. Um, so yeah, it's not something that I do, but in answer to your question, yes, it is possible to have that incision there. The worry is that if you did get a bad scar, it's on the front and obvious. Um, and so, plus, for me, the inframammary, I like it because you can get really good exposure and really good vision of the place where you want to put the implant, which is why I prefer it to the transaxillary because I find it's quite hard to see, particularly here in the cleavage area, which is really important to get the cleavage area right, and there's a lot of big blood vessels there. So I find that the inframammary is the best balance between the three. Um, and so that's why I tend to favor that one. Um, Kelsey, hey, good to see you. Okay, one year, thank you. Yeah, no, it's raised. Oh, if it's raised one, Winky Sparkle, you might want to look at doing something. So was that the, like, is the liposuction scar, is that Winky Sparkle? Yeah. So if it's raised Winky Sparkle, I might actually, um, any will know, Amy, 
if it's raised, then I might do something a bit sooner, winky sparkle. So if, you, if your liposuction scar is raised, then that suggests it might be a hypertrophic scar. So again, moisturized massage, like, like I was saying earlier, but a raised scar, you might think about it. A raised scar is difficult to treat surgically. So you'd be looking at non-surgical treatments such as steroid injection and, um, and um, silicone gel or sheets, depending on where it is. Pressure, if that's appropriate for where it is. So then you're in the realms of uh, hypertrophic scars, um, winky sparkle. So that you would probably look at about three months. You might be looking, starting to do something sooner because it wouldn't be scar revision. You wouldn't be cutting that scar out. Uh, Alex, long time no see. God, this feels like a long time. Probably isn't, is it? But anyway, how are you doing? Um, speaking of long time, Olivia says three years in November. Wow, three years. Well, that's brilliant. Well done. So hopefully... Uh, yeah, so Winky Sparkle might be worth getting that looked at sooner, actually, rather than a year, because it could be a hypertrophic scar. Um, and and st steroids, pressure, um, silicone, go for that. Well, I've got to be honest, everyone. Well done, you, honestly. Pat, pat on your back, because you've asked some good questions there. Um, I'm, I'm on my second question now, um, the second preordained question. Uh, do we remove osteomas? So an osteoma is a bony lump, and you can get an osteoma in any bone, a bit of bone sticking out. Um, the common places that I've ever seen them as a plastic surgeon and I treat them as a plastic surgeon is on the forehead. We seem to get quite a few on the forehead, you know, um, and sometimes someone, when someone comes with a lump on the forehead, you always think, actually, is it bone? Uh, because it could be a cyst or it could be a lipoma or it could be some soft lump. But... Um, occasionally it's an osteoma which is basically a little bump on the scar scar itself on the cranium um so that's the common places where i've seen them and treated them i mean you can get an osteoma anywhere on your leg or on your arm anywhere else but i guess it would probably be an orthopedic surgeon i guess it is on your legs or your arms and things uh, rather than us but we tend to do the ones on the forehead and um the the reason this question has gone on is because a patient inquired in the week and I basically said, no, we wouldn't do it. And the only reason I said, no, we wouldn't do it is because we can't get the kit because I've got a minor operating room in my clinic and every bit of kit I've got in the minor operating room is disposable. And the when you do an osteoma, you need a hammer and chisel, basically, because it's a bit of the bone. Trust me, you need a hammer and chisel because I tried to do it without a hammer and chisel and it's an absolute nightmare. So and it's relatively simple with a hammer and chisel. Believe it or not, you do it under local anaesthetic. It is a bit like your head's going a bit like that as we go, you know, and to get it off with the hammer and chisel. But um, so it's, it's a doable thing under a local anaesthetic. The reason we've got an issue with it at the clinic is because we can't get slash, I don't even know if they make, I don't think they make disposable hammer and chisels, basically. Um, so we were going to have to buy a hammer and chisel, which would be like 150 quid or something for a sort of sterile hammer and chisel, and then just throw it away or, you know, bring it home, put it in the garage if you ever need a, anyway, or basically throw it away. I suppose the first one you bring home, but, you know, after that, you wouldn't want it in the garage, would you? So the bottom line is just not worth it because we haven't got sterilizing facilities. Um, so, but if you went to a, your local private hospital, they would have sterilizing facilities and they'd have a hammer and chisel. And if 
the problem if I did it at the local hospital, it would cost more, basically. Um, so that's why it's easier for me to just say no. Maybe you're better off going to the local hospital and you, you know your local hospital. But maybe I should have, I should have offered. Thing that now I think about it, maybe I should have offered to do it. Um, but anyway, Amy, if you're still on there, yeah, talk to me about that tomorrow. Maybe we should have offered to do it at the hospital. But anyway, we at the clinic we can't do it because we can't get a hammer. And goodness knows, Vicky has looked and moved heaven and earth to try and get a hammer and chisel and disposable, or to get them to take it away and sterilize it and then bring it back. And the logistics of it was um, it broke her basically. So we decided no, we're not going to do. Um, the osteomas they're quite nice to, when you've got the right equipment they're quite nice to do when you haven't got the right equipment they're a living nightmare i've been through the living nightmare trying to get it off with a flipping scalpel and things and you know when you've got the right equipment it's, it's it can be quite beautiful just chipping it off but uh but uh like anything in life you know it's bad workman not, well, not bad workman but workman and his tools because i think we're you know, a bad woman blames his tools, but I think when you haven't got the right tools, it does make things a lot easier. But um, for now, we haven't got the tools for osteomas. Uh, certainly out of the clinic, we haven't got the tools. So I would go to your uh, local private hospital. But if you are watching and you have got an osteoma, I have just had a thought that we could probably offer um, to do it at the hospital, although it would, it would cost more doing things at the hospital. It does cost more than doing it at the clinic. Um, but at least we could, you know, give you a quote so you can make a decision on whether that's worth it or not. It's just a bit galling because if we had a hammer and chisel, we could. I mean, you can't, I suppose you could ask yourself how much more. If it's more than 150 quid more, why don't we just buy a hammer and chisel every time we do one? Thinking aloud here now. Anyway, yeah. But we have been through a lot with the osteomas and we have decided not to do them because it was too difficult to get that. Well, I thought that was pretty good for two questions. Um, if anyone has got a question, obviously I'm a busy man, obviously, but a bit of time, cold tea, stone cold. Um, yeah, obviously a busy man, but uh, yeah, okay. So <laughs> on that note, thank you. Not only the two people have asked me the osteoma and the dermal fillers question, but also wrinkly, wrinkly pierce, uh, winky sparkle, uh, the me now, um, too many to name, uh, Lisa. Actually, that's it, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. So three. Anyway, thank you to those three um, for asking your questions and. Please, God, I'll have some more questions next week. Otherwise, I'll have to frantically think of something myself, and nobody wants that. Um, and uh, I will be here, assuming everything's all right next week. I don't know what's happening next week. Anything? Yeah, let's assume so. So I will catch up with you then. Um, thank you for tuning in, and I will wish you a good evening and a good night. Good night. Stop the stream. Have a question not covered in today's show? Then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag AskJJ. We'd love to hear from you.